0: Well, hello, and welcome to the Through the Word podcast, as Pastors Chris Mitchell and John Bell seek to answer questions that come from the reading of God's Word, beginning in Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Thank you for joining us. Well, hello, I'm Pastor John Bell,
1: and I'm Pastor Chris Mitchell, and we are here together today. Um, a little bit different because pastor John's not feeling well and we're sorry about that pastor John.
0: Well, uh, that's That's all right. Thank you. And thank you guys for, for joining in. I'm, I'm going to try and truck on through it. I mean, I've, I've listened to podcasts and talk shows and things like that before where, where people were not feeling well, but they still did it. And so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this is through the word podcast.
0: Yes, it is. And today we're going to answer questions from Ezra and nehemiah and esther and so
1: you said that because i didn't know you know you do so well at the intro and i i didn't have any of that so thank
0: you for doing that that's (laughs) all right But, but thank you guys for listening and pastor chris if it's all right with you we'll go ahead and get into some of those questions yes i'm ready let's go all right so in the opening chapters of ezra we read the name mordecai sounds familiar from esther and so the question is is this the same Mordecai from the book of Esther? And if so, how did he end up at the citadel of Susa after returning with Zerubbabel?
1: Well, this is not the Mordecai of Esther. Okay. Uh, This, uh, you know, obviously we've had this kind of thing happen before with different names and, 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 you know, sounding the same or different time periods, different kings, things like that. This is another one of those instances where Mordecai must have been a, a common name. And so the Mordecai of Esther was actually a much later figure historically, and he never returned to Jerusalem. Um, and But I thought, you know, because the name Nehemiah is in there, too. Yes. That um, that's not the same Nehemiah either.
0: OK, well, yes, he did come a little bit later, but still in the book of Ezra.
1: Yeah, yeah, those. Um, that's yeah. Just those those similar names again. Just showing up like that is is certainly a great question, and grateful that we could kind of help think through that.
0: Right. So in the in the closing out of Ezra in in chapter ten, we find the people. They recognize their sin uh, on intermarriage with foreign men and women, and so then Ezra says to separate from the people, from the foreign wives and. And so we find the sons of the priests who had married foreign women, they pledged themselves to put away their wives. So, Pastor Chris, is this an example of God-sanctioned divorce, or is it due to their sin disobedience that God told them to put away their wives?
1: This is definitely one of those passages where you have to pause and you have to think deeply about the sovereignty of God what we do know is that the Israelites had sinned by marrying or taking in. So we see that word marrying and, but then we kind of get this idea of this taking in of foreign women. Okay. Well, because God is holy, he has to punish that sin and punishment looked like separation to purify the nation again, to make them again, a set apart people in order to draw people back to him. Now, some have misinterpreted the Hebrew word for put away as to kill, as if, you know, they were told to go out and, and do away with all of them and kill them along okay. the road. That's definitely an incorrect translation.
0: That's good. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Historians tell us these women and their children didn't just become nomads in the desert, hoping the men from some other nation would take them in. Notice that same kind of uh, verbiage there of taking in. Mm -hmm. The nations surrounding Israel did have some specific customs for meeting a woman's financial needs if she were to become divorced or lose her husband. So more than likely, these women went home and were cared for by their families, possibly given some provision for their journey, just like Abraham did when he sent Hagar away in Genesis 21, 14. But when you're speaking of divorce, and, and it's a great question because is God advocating it here Because over in Malachi, it says God hates divorce. Yes. Best we can tell, the Israelites' mixed marriages weren't really considered true marriage. And thus, divorce wasn't taking place. Uh, The reason Malachi had to discuss God's hatred of divorce was because Jewish men were trying to divorce their Jewish wives in order to marry foreign women. That was definitely detestable uh, to God. So... It it wasn't divorce like we think of divorce today, mostly because as we're sitting here saying these Israelite marriages weren't even considered real marriage.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, absolutely. Those, I mean, that makes sense, but God does, he hates divorce. And so we want to keep that in mind. You know, our Lord gives us even guidelines in whenever we're speaking about divorce, but God also hates idolatry, and so he's, right. he's going to guard his people.
1: Yes, and that was the thing. you know w- when it came to the foreign women, it wasn't that, and we talked about this too before that God was anti-female or God was anti-women, or it, it had nothing to do with that. It right. was the fact that for his people, th- there was the tendency to go after those foreign women and those foreign women, you know, just bring in their their traditions and bring in their idols and, and lead. Uh, god's people away from the one true god and so like you said i mean the the hatred of idolatry yes
0: and so but our next couple of questions here are these are actually from a pretty common questions that would be asked they come from wind asked by norman geisler and so but if you guys have questions for us would you please send those in to through the word 22 at gmail.com i mean we're I mean, we're picking up in the reading here pretty quickly. I know that over the next week, we'll get to be in Job for a little bit. And so that's always good. We can stay in a book for a little bit longer. But as we're moving through these books quickly, we come to, to Nehemiah. And according to Nehemiah 8, 17, there was the Feast of Tabernacles. that it says it had not been celebrated by Israel since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. Yeah, Ezra 3, 4, we find that Zerubbabel. a by the way yes that's right that's <laughs> that common joke <laughs> he did have a dad
1: yes but sorry he was got the son of there that oh that's yeah that common joke that that my kids love to come tell me about the you know the man in the bible who didn't have a dad
0: didn't have a dad and it was joshua the son of none
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, i'm sorry you're ill and here i am making you talk more and laugh more let's, not, let's keep going i'm sorry. Ezra three, four.
0: That's all right. Ezra 3-4 declares that Zerubbabel and the Israelites kept the Feast of the Tabernacles after they returned from Babylonian captivity. So how do we answer this contradiction, our apparent contradiction?
1: Well, the Nehemiah passage is attempting to say that nothing like this particular celebration since Joshua's day had happened. Now, there were several unique things about Nehemiah's celebration. Number one, it was recognized by the whole congregation— Number two, there was a celebration that came with, it, it came with great gladness, um, which is too bad that maybe some of the other ones didn't come, uh, but maybe those nights out in the booths were more than they could take. But this one, great gladness. And, th- well, number three, it was celebrated with a week-long, get this, continual Bible reading.
0: Wow, Almost that's a like, revival. Maybe
1: like some sort of Bible mania. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> instead of a telethon. We could say it was a Bible thon that was supposed to raise increased Bible literacy. Um, Maybe we should try that sometime, but anyway, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) We'll we'll trade off so we can sleep, but but, yeah, sure. Um, Fourth, they celebrated it exactly as Moses commanded. All right. So that obviously made this one different. You had the restored priesthood and the temple. Uh, So because of those things, Nothing like this particular celebration had occurred since Joshua's day.
0: Well, that's I'm glad that they were able to celebrate that time. And as as we continue to to go through the book, we come to Esther. And as we're in Esther, we find a name missing. And (laughs) that's the name of God. And this is the Bible. And so how is Esther a part of the biblical canon? when God is not even mentioned in the book?
1: It's a question, Pastor John, that's caused some to debate its inspiration and place in the canon for actually almost 2000 years. Uh, There was a council back in AD 90 that started disputing whether this should even be there. So this is a, a real age old question for sure. Okay. So while the name of God is absent, it's clear his hand is at work throughout its pages His providence lovingly putting people right where they needed to be to accomplish his purposes. And yet in all of that, the free moral agency of each participant is preserved. Yes. Uh, You know, although God can, he does not need to invade the normal process of daily affairs to accomplish his will in this case here. His great providence delicately intertwines into the acts and decisions of people so that he accomplishes all of his will with divine perfection and precision without violating human free choice. So the book of Esther, like no other book, reveals the hidden supernatural providence of God in directing all of his creation according to the good purpose of his will. And I think Mordecai, so there we are with that name again. This is the Mordecai of Esther. Uh, Mordecai said it best, yet who knows whether you've come to the kingdom For such a time as this. Mm. But I thought this was interesting in the study. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and my Hebrew professors could testify according to my grades. But what scholars have discovered is that the name of God is in the book of Esther in acrostic form. Wow. Yeah. So at four crucial points in the story. I would go slow. We can go back and look at those or, or, you know, some other time. But in chapter one. This is in Hebrew. Right, in Hebrew, so I have to get the Hebrew Bible out. Chapter 1, verse 20, chapter 5, verse 4, chapter 5, verse 13, and chapter 7, verse 7. So twice going forward, in other words, God's name, Yahweh, or Y-H-W-H. So twice going forward yes, and twice going backward, God's name is present. Now, isn't that amazing? And so... What this as I was reading this, the devout Jew would have recognized this while the Persians would not have Mm. possibly this being God's way of preserving his sacred name from pagan perversion. So, I mean, can you imagine it's kind of like this undercover secret code kind of thing as they're reading and they're like, well, of course, you know, here's God at work. Here's God at work. Look at his name. It's all over this place. And yet the Persians who might pick it up, what are you reading over there? you know looking at it and, and right. I couldn't figure it out so i i think that's that's really well just part of that providence <laughs> that i mentioned in the beginning
0: right and even though we don't find you know god's name we do clearly see that he is at work yes um, another couple of interesting things that i found on this was the name esther in general in hebrew has a connotation of meaning hidden and Oh, okay And then also even thinking back to part of the curse that would come in in Deuteronomy 31 that God says he's going to be found hidden. Mm -hmm.
1: And so just those
0: couple of things, um, you know, thinking through those. But as as the people were searching for the Lord, you could you could see he's still working even in the midst of a people who he seemed to not be present among. You still find his work taking place. That's right.
1: And as we, you know, even in that, you know, that that time of silence, you know, sort of between the Testaments. Yes. Yeah. Same things going on. You know, I mean, he's working. He, he's, his purposes are still being accomplished, even though, you know, the us here on Earth didn't hear anything.
0: Right. And as we were continuing to go through the book of Esther, we what we find is that, well, did Esther disobey? You know, a human government, which God had ordained whenever she went before the king. We we spoke some about God's ordination of the government last week. But did Esther disobey the human government, which God had ordained by going before the king?
1: Here, what we're finding is this. Sometimes it is necessary to disobey human government, namely when it compels us to sin. So. Here are a couple of examples. If the government says you can no longer pray to God. All right. So Daniel chapter right. six. Yes. Or if it says we must worship an idol of the president or, you know, the governor or whatever. Right. Um, and so we could look at Daniel chapter three kind of as an example there. Or we must kill the babies. You could look at Exodus one, 15 through 21. Then we must disobey. Mm. All right. So that that is appropriate. Uh, disobeying human government when it goes against the very uh, things of God causing us to sin. Right now in Esther's case, there was no law compelling her to sin. So the parameters I just mentioned don't apply in her case. Okay. But she didn't disobey the law of the land because the law of the land allowed for someone to come before the King unannounced at their own risk. Yes. So knowing of this provision of the law, and accepting the risk of her life, Esther went before the king to save the lives of her people. So in this case, there was no need to disobey the law since it was not compelling her to kill anyone or to commit any other act of sin. So she wasn't disobeying the law. It was, I mean, it, anybody could go before the king on an end. You were just taking life into your own hands.
0: Yes, exactly. If I
1: didn't extend the scepter, you were, you know, done with.
0: Hmm. Well, thankfully for the Jewish people and for, for our sake and and reading the story and seeing the continuation of God's people and his promises. She did. And, but as even Mordecai said, if you don't do this, someone else will, (laughs) because the Lord is going to have his will accomplished.
1: Right. Yes. And so in God's providence, he extended the scepter.
0: Yes. Well, praise the Lord. And thank you for answering those questions today. And, you guys, thank you for, for joining in. I, I hope to have my voice back a little bit more next week. But if you have any of those questions, please send those in to through the word22 at gmail.com.
1: Well, we and we will be praying for you, Pastor John, as you continue to heal.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I will talk with you all soon. Bye.
1: All right. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Through the Word podcast. If you have any questions for us, please send those in to Through the Word 22 at gmail.com. That's Through the Word and the number 22 at gmail.com. God bless you. Have a great day.